Hi, GDR here with some more reader's questions. I've taken a break from the studio where we're recording new music. I hope you guys are going to love it. And trying to do my best to answer some of these questions. Keep them coming. I love your questions. They're so good because they keep me on point, actually, a lot of them. All right. How was it that you ended up in Mumbai after escaping prison? Why not other places in India or the world? I got a false passport. I was leaving New Zealand. I had a false passport and a ticket that took me to Germany. I thought I'd have to go to a place where everyone looked like me if I was going to hide and not be recaptured and taken back to prison. So Germany seemed right. My grandfather was German. I thought I can go there and pass for German and hide among the other people there. The ticket itself had a two-day stopover as a bonus in Bombay. You get down, used to be Bombay then, you get down in Bombay, you spend two days, and you get your connector flight and go on to Germany. I got off that plane and within one hour I tore up the ticket. I knew I had been in that country before. I knew the first time I put my foot on the ground, I knew we'd been in India before. I listened to the voices around me. I looked at the faces around me. They were familiar. I knew it was my place. I knew it. I knew the languages were somehow familiar and yet I'd never heard them before in my life. The faces were familiar as if I'd grown up with them instead of in Little Israel and Chinatown where I did grow up in Melbourne, in my beautiful city of Melbourne, where I, where, uh, where I grew up. I'd not had at that time a big Indian diaspora in Melbourne. I went there and I recognized the faces. I knew the people. I knew the sounds. I heard the azan. I heard the call in the temples. I heard the bells ringing the conch blowing and I tore up that ticket in an hour and stayed there and it's been a place in my heart ever since. So that's how I got to Mumbai. I eventually got to Germany by the way and I love it. Some, what someone else said, um, will you say something in German? And so, also, wie soll denn? Wie soll? Wie soll? Wie soll, wie soll ich etwas auf Deutsch reden? Na? Wie soll? No, I can one time. I'll tell you what, we'll do a little thing in French and German and I'll get my friends to do something in Italian as well. All right, here's another question. How much of the story did you have ready in your mind when you started writing and how much uh, did you have developed in the process? It's a really good question for any writers out there. I work with a, a structure that I create beforehand, an architecture for the book, because I want to embed into that book in Shantaram, the mountain shadow, for example, I want to embed other texts, allegorical references. If you look deep in the book, you'll find references to other works and so on. That takes structure, that takes organization. That takes me about two years, maybe sometimes three, to create an architectural structure for a book. Then it comes to writing it, and it does develop along the way. And an example of that is the little society of characters at Leopold Cafe in Shantaram and in the Mountain Shadow I had written that in an architectural sense, but until I started writing the book, they were not really living characters. Once they became living characters, that world came to life for me. They started making it a real world and they directed it in, in, in many ways. What they would do and what they wouldn't do became a big part of the story in the developing process. So the structure I think is important for anyone who wants to build extra elements in your book and so on, and even to consolidate your imagery and so forth so that you're not maybe scattered all over the place in what you're doing. There's a sense of uniformity in what you're doing. Structure is important at the start, but yes, that creative flow will go with the flow when it starts. That creative flow will take you in new directions that are not anticipated when you set up your structure. Um, here is my question, thank you. 
I am hella curious what a playlist you write you were writing to when you wrote Chantram and what it would sound like. It'd be super fun to hear and watch you DJ a set. Um, but even putting up a playlist or writing it out would be immensely wonderful and so on. Peace and love. Thank you. Peace and love back to you too. Really nice, really nice. I always write to playlists. I've got a couple of them up on Spotify at the moment. We're preparing a bunch of new playlists at the moment that will incorporate some of our tracks, that will incorporate in, within that and some of the tracks that I really love from some of my favorite artists from both Indian music and so on, whether it's Bollywood and a great hit song from Bollywood that I really like, or reaching right back into Indian traditional music and going into ragas and so on. Put some of those in with some of the, uh, the wheelhouse that I like, deep house and, and house music generally and so on. But getting into some of the other areas as well, like soul and so on, and pulling some of that in. So we're putting that together. I've also created a little soundtrack myself um, for The Spiritual Path. Um, since you ask about the music, there's a book coming out this year called The Spiritual Path. It's coming out in paperback. I've put together a uh, a little bunch of tracks that might help someone get into the mood when they're reading it or afterwards if they're getting into their spiritual practices. It's called Deep Surrender. Look out for that. That's coming out really soon. We're dropping that soon and that's going to be something I think for anyone who wants to just sit back and let that play in the background is kind of nice chill. We'll see what if you like that. And that's an example really when you when that, that I played, I created it, played it, put that together and produced it. But it's an expression of what I like when I'm writing myself. It's the kind of thing that I'd actually find and that I do buy when I buy the, the work of other artists. So, okay, watch out for that deep surrender coming out soon. That's in conjunction with the spiritual path. I hope you dig that. All right. Respe respected sir. Wow. Big respect to you too. One of the things you've got to love about Jamaica, it's one of the last places on this planet where people will walk up to you, a complete stranger, and say, blessings and respect. And mean it. I mean, this, it's so respectfully, thank you, it's so sweet. I know you're all respectful. I'm not saying the rest of you are. The rest of you are such swine, you're not respectful, and this person is. No, you're all respectful, I get that. But it's just so lovely to see the word. Big word, big thing that we need, respect. And let's start with respect for mothers everywhere. We get that? Respect for mothers everywhere, deep respect for mothers. We got this solved, pretty much. Okay, I just completed chapter 15 of your shant. I haven't even read this question. I've got no idea where this is going. I've just completed chapter 15 of your Shantaram. I have one doubt that one of the chapters you're claiming that you are an atheist, but most of the times you're using, oh my God. Terrific question. I've never been an atheist. Uh, the atheist position never made any sense to me scientifically. If, I, no offense to atheists, but if there's even one thing in this universe that has metaphysical properties, then it makes no sense to deny the metaphysical altogether. Now, light, as it happens, a photon of light has physical properties. It bounces off a mirror and you can reflect it, you can focus it, but it also has metaphysical properties. It doesn't weigh anything. It has no volume. Excuse me, it doesn't take up any space and it doesn't weigh anything. No, it has no mass and no volume. It's outside the flow of time as we know it. It's traveling at the speed of light. So it's outside the flow of time that we know. And it's involved in every interaction in the universe, the photo of light, photon of light. The exchange of photons of light is involved in everything. So if that thing, now let's look at one more aspect about this photon of light. If you take two of them and, pull, and get the polarity connected between the two and separate them by the width of the universe, if you change one, the other one changes. This is impossible. This is metaphysical. This is beyond explanation at this point. So if even one thing in the universe has metaphysical properties beyond 
the physical properties, then it doesn't make sense to me to deny the metaphysical altogether. So I've never been an atheist. I have most of my life been an agnostic. I have said I need more information. I have insufficient data. I've been a bit like, for anyone who knows Star Trek, I have, um, you know, I've been a bit like Spock who would say I have inf insufficient information to form more than a partial hypothesis. And so it's just been that, nothing more than a partial hypothesis along the way, gathering information and data. That was until I took the leap of faith myself. And when I took the leap of faith myself, I became connected in a way that for me is profound and sincere. And so I've found answers to those questions myself. And now I am a person of deep faith. I express faith in everything I do. The album that we first produced is called Love and Faith. And now I'm certainly not an agnostic. I'm a person who's committed. I have acknowledged. I've surrendered the negative in myself to the best that I can, and I'm devoted. So that's the answer to that one. And thank you. It's a really big question about a long, a big territory. <laughs>